everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Rachel Dory, Director of Advanced Performance and Master's Student at York University. Rachel is an up-and-coming hockey mind who has already seen time at the OHL and NHL level, amongst other experiences. With a wealth of knowledge in the field of analytics and a key eye for other areas of the game, she possesses a full-fledged hockey arsenal, which listeners will be able to learn from today. With that, I am happy to present Rachel Dory, Director of Advanced Performance and Master's Student at York University. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Rachel Dory, Director of Advanced Performance and Master Student with the York University Lions. Rachel, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's really great to have you on, and um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen your work on Twitter and your thoughts and opinions come across our timelines and, and a number of stories that came out, but it's nice to finally get the, uh, the background story on you and go through your career a little bit. So let's just start off by uh, you telling us about yourself, including where you're from, and then speak to your involvement in sports throughout your youth. Yeah, so I'm, I guess like Ryan said, I'm Rachel, um, Toronto kid, spent a decent amount of time in Germany, but basically grew up here um, the entire time. I actually didn't start playing hockey until I was maybe like 10 or 11 because I was a gymnast um, and that required 40 hours of my week every week. So I was actually kind of heavily involved in that and in uh, soccer. And so I kind of just watched hockey growing up and then hey, maybe I'll play because I played road hockey and whatever. Um, but always been, whether I went from elite gymnastics to then playing like a decent level of hockey, I've always kind of been in a, a decent level of sport. And so I guess now that it's carried on into my career, it's probably not surprising. I don't think my parents definitely aren't surprised because I was always a stats nerd and yelling like random face-off stats uh, all the time. And my mom always said, Oh, that's not going to be useful. And now she doesn't say that anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The progression is definitely there. And I'm always interested in hearing uh, the sports that people do. A lot of times hockey is not even a part of uh, the childhood environment for a lot of the guests, but it's interesting to hear your gymnastics background and then a little bit of hockey as well. So, you know, once entering post-secondary, you would go and attend Laurentian. Uh, just talk about that program and how it prepared you to work in sport moving forward. Yeah, so um, I went to the SPAD program at Laurentian. Uh, I didn't have a choice. My parents basically said, you're getting a business degree, a science degree, like you're getting a degree that isn't just random things. And so when I said I want to do sports business, my parents were like, okay, you got to get a, a Bachelor of Commerce. You're not just going to get like a random whatever. And so I went up to Laurentian. This is this might get me in trouble on Twitter, but I really don't like Sudbury. Um, it is not the most convenient place to get around, and it is not the warmest. But I really enjoyed the program. I think that while I didn't love Sudbury, uh, going to Laurentian was the best decision I made because uh, being at that program allowed me opportunities to uh, consult with the senators and have multiple internships. Um, just things that Laurentian can provide that other schools potentially can't because the alumni network was so strong that they want to give 
kids an opportunity and they want to take chances. So it was really good exposure, really good networking. Um, the professors, I still talk to a lot of them. They're fantastic. Um, and so I've just kind of tried to keep my relationship uh, with a couple of people from the program as well, but definitely with the professors because I can still lean on them and, and ask them questions about various things. Yeah, no, it's great to hear. And uh, Laurentian is one of those programs which has come up a couple of different times uh, throughout the speakers and with future guests, but uh, it's good to hear that you had a great experience and were able to make those connections because I think when picking a program, uh, those connections that you make with the professors and people, you know, alumni and things like that are, is what really makes the program, uh, you know, strong or weak in, in whatever capacity you're going with. But, you know, before moving into kind of your junior hockey career, you had a few opportunities with internships and things like that. And one of them was with MLSE. Uh, just talk about your role there and, and kind of what you learned uh, through that experience. Yeah, so I was out of um, BMO and Rico, which is now, I guess, Coca-Cola Coliseum. Um, so it was like Marley's playoff run and then TFC. But that was the year that there was a bunch of Renaults um, and Pan Am. So there was a lot happening in a very little amount of time. But because I wasn't working at the ACC, I actually got to develop relationships that are, I guess, much closer and, and more meaningful because there's not like 800 people in the building. Um, and it also afforded me the opportunity. So Brad Lynn uh, worked out of Rico Coliseum. So I got to have um, sit down chats with him a couple of times. Um, that's where I met Kyle Dubas. But I made a few friends uh, at that internship where like they're lifelong friends. Like some of these people are, are like, some of my closest friends. Um, but it was basically just kind of helping out with facilitating anything that happened at either Rico or BMO. Um, so just like a running around the whole time. And, and that's kind of how I got in with TFC a little bit. Yeah, I think that's the unique experience of an internship. You really don't know what you're going to be doing. You're, you know, you're here one day and you're at a completely different location the next day. But it's always fun to hear those experiences and the unique connections that you make. And MLSC is definitely one of those organizations that you can meet a lot of very influential people. So um, extremely, yeah, for sure. uh, a very good spot for you to be. So, you know, moving into junior hockey, then your first position uh, came with the nearby Sudbury Wolves, where you would work as their video coach. Uh, how did you find yourself in that role? And uh, what was the initial learning curve like, you know, working in that video position? Um, it's actually kind of funny. So uh, the Sudbury Wolves have kind of this program with SPAD where it's like we, they take SPAD kids to do like their in-game marketing, their in-game social media. Um, and kind of the only role that really isn't within that is the video coaching role but they try and find someone um I guess Burgess was the owner when my first year there it was his last year before he uh, sold the team to Zulich and um it was always kind of like a unpaid volunteer kind of thing um so it wasn't all that attractive but my friend that I'd made in the program reached out to me and said hey they're looking for a video coach you were kind of the first person I thought of um, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, you can put my name forward and, and just kind of have them call me if, they, if they're interested. And a week later, uh, Dave Matzos called me, uh, said that he'd been given my name and he wanted to chat. Could I come down to the rink? So then I was like, oh God, I don't even know how to use the bus in Sudbury. Um, so I had to figure out how to do that, go down to the arena, went in, chatted with Dave, Brian Vero. Drake Barahowski wasn't there that day, but uh, I ended up meeting him later. And Dave was kind of like, okay, what do you know about video? And I just kind of said, uh, I don't know how to cut video, but I'm a really quick learner. 
and I understand the game of hockey. I can anticipate. So being able to clip plays won't be an issue. And he was like, okay, fine. You're like, you're our girl. I was like, okay. Um, so then it was kind of like, I had two preseason games and I would say by the end of the second period of the first preseason game, I'd had it down to where Dave was like, okay, please call up this chance against and do a little thing on Steva and pull it up. And so ever since then, he was good with me. We'd sit on the bus and he'd show me things and how he prepares for games. Like he was just, he was really good to me. Um, and that's why I stayed on for the, for the second year. Yeah. A, a very unique experience. And a lot of people don't get the opportunity to maybe be thrown in there, but I guess it shows your commitment and just willing to, you know, try it, even though you said you didn't really know how to clip video, but you understood the game and were willing to, you know, take that opportunity and kind of run with it. So. Uh, yeah. And I would also think that like, I learned how to clip video and it's funny because him giving me that chance has basically made me like the video person. So now video is everyone, when they see me, they just assume video. Yeah. And that definitely would not have been the case had, had Dave Matzos not taken the chance on me. And I'm still, every time we chat, or I try and make the effort to go out to Hamilton now just to see a game or two a year. Um, I'm always thankful for it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a unique point as well that, uh, you know, you kind of got put into this type of role because of an opportunity like that uh, with Sarnia and analytics. You know, that wasn't really my background beforehand, a little bit of work, but um, some people kind of reach out to me now with analytics questions, even though maybe I've done more scouting and things like that. But it kind of just, uh, you know, like you said, take any opportunity you can and run with it. So around the same time, uh, you would have two more opportunities come up, uh, one with Hockey Canada and then another one at the university level. Uh, let's talk about those two roles and how they prepared you for the bigger position you would soon hold. Um, okay, so I was, oh... It was the summer of 2017. Um, I was interviewing with the Leafs. I had been to their development camp that summer. Um, but because I had kind of loosely connected and, and done some stuff for the world junior team the year before, um, their video coach put me up for an opportunity. Uh, every year, Hockey Canada runs a development camp out of Calgary for the women's team. Um, so it was a U sports team, two U18 teams. It was like a U18 selection camp and the U22 development team, which is basically the feeder into the, the big club. Um, and they needed a video coach for the U sports team. And so I said, yes, went out to Calgary, man. Oh man, that was a lot of work. I think I was out there for 14 days or maybe like 13 days, something like that. Um, but it was good because I got to connect with uh, the national coach at the time, Laura Schuler. We, did like bubble soccer together and I absolutely like nailed her and I felt so <laughs> bad, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And um, just being able to see the talent. Uh, that's where I met Darren Turcott, who he was with the U18 team at the time, but he's also the head coach at Nipissing. And he flat out asked me, he goes, I've seen your work. I've asked questions. Um, would you be interested in, in helping me out? And originally I was kind of like, okay, former NHL player, coaching hockey this seems like kind of the old boys club so then we had a couple chats and I realized like no this guy like he's actually very um so he's friends with John Cooper and both of those men are very forward thinking so I was like yeah sure you know what I'm I'm not doing anything like I'm writing for the athletic that's it yeah sure why not and so I ended up doing Nipissing video and analytics while I was writing for the athletic 
and then that obviously fed in into the next thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess one more thing before we go into the NHL, uh, just briefly talk about the athletic and how maybe you found yourself there and just your overall experience. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny. So I had loosely connected with James Myrtle and this was when the athletic was like very much in its infancy. And Jack Han and I were up for the same job with the Leafs. Like we were both interviewing and Jack was writing for the athletic at the time. Then Jack ended up getting the job, but they needed a replacement for Jack at the athletic. And they knew clearly that we were pretty similar. And um, I had like a blog at the time, I think. I can't even remember. I think I had some blog. And yes, because I wrote about the Hurricanes penalty kill. And that's where Myrtle saw it. And so when Jack left the athletic, Myrtle reached out to me and said, hey, like we were looking for something kind of along the same lines. We'd think you'd be great. And I was like, okay. So I started writing. Um, and I would write, it was actually, it's, it's not the same anymore just because they're a much bigger operation, but I would literally text James and say, okay, I'm going to write about this, cut video, all of that. And that's that. And so then I, I wrote about Columbus. I wrote about the devils. And so I ended up writing about the devils and how he here was scoring with Hall and butcher. And then there was like the athletic Christmas party and I met Pierre Lebrun there. And it, I didn't know this until much later, but um, Pierre Lebrun kind of came and, and chatted with me, I guess in a more private situation, like we were sitting at the end of the table kind of thing. And he was asking me kind of about my background and whatever. And now that I look back on it, he was definitely doing recon because two days later, Ray emailed me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those situations where you really don't know uh, who's listening and, and who's having connections with who. And like you said, he was definitely doing some recon there. And you know, the next stop would be the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things we can't talk about at the NHL level, but maybe just talk about your experience overall with the Devils and, um, you know, what you learned overall there working at that level. Yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind. Um, just because, like, I ended up writing that piece in The Athletic. John Hines saw it. Ray Shiro saw it. They went back and forth with each other and John was basically like, okay, I like her. And so then Pierre did his recon, Ray emailed me. I still have no idea how he got my email. We chatted the next day on the phone and then I was in New Jersey, December 21st or December 22nd. And I had interview process there. The Devils played the Blackhawks that night. And then basically the clock hit midnight and it was Christmas Eve and Ray offered me the job. And like, without even thinking about it, I said yes. And the like the original, I guess you could call it a contract. It was written on a napkin. Because <laughs> like, I guess we were like, it's Christmas. Like everyone wants to go home. I have a 7 a.m. flight home, like whatever, right? Um, but then I ended up moving down to New Jersey with my visa after my birthday in January. And uh, it was basically a whirlwind because the team went on that magical uh, playoff run. Taylor Hall just incredible and just being able to help and be part of the process and become trusted by the coaching staff and some of the scouts like it was a really good experience from that perspective just seeing how they view the game and how important communication is and if you can't communicate your issue or your solution then you might as well not have it because if no one's going to understand it then it really doesn't matter but yeah like I learned a lot of things I learned to do my research and um, sometimes you got to bite your tongue and, and sometimes you have to fight for things. And, um, I made a really, really good friend there. So I'm really thankful, um, 
from that perspective because it definitely like that was life's one of life's biggest learning experiences for me i mean anytime you can work at the nhl level uh you got to take and run with it and i'm sure uh, getting that contract albeit on a napkin was a pretty good christmas gift for you that year but uh, yeah i decided not to tell my parents until i got home so my mom picked me up at the airport and I just handed her an envelope with like the copy of the, the contract in it. Yeah. And I was just like, by the way, I'm moving out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here, here's my two like, weeks what? notice. <laughs> yeah. So she was, it was kind of taken by surprise. And then we host Christmas Eve every year. So that was kind of when I told my family that like, Hey, um, this is probably the last time you're going to see me for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, but that's, yeah that's it was, my dad was pretty fired up because he he grew up a huge marty broder fan yeah. so he was uh he was pretty fired up yeah it all came for full circle but you know really interesting to hear that perspective and and hear about the relationships and um like we just said before anytime you can work at the nhl level and learn from people like that especially in the devil's organization and and work with elite players like taylor hall that year was incredible and and the team was pretty good too so uh, definitely a unique experience and and one people that one that people are definitely interested in hearing about yeah I would say that I still like I when I look back I really some of the things I really enjoyed were working with guys like Taylor and Nico Heischer and Damon Severson and, and then having a really good relationship with uh, John Hines Roly Melanson like yeah. those guys and then just being able to interact with the scouts just to hear like okay you see various teams get flamed on Twitter for different things, but to be able to see kind of behind the curtain, you understand what goes into things. And, you know, maybe there's other uh, issues that fans aren't necessarily taking into account. And so just from that perspective, it gave me a whole new view on things. Yeah. And that definitely would help you moving forward and things like that. But I think the, you know, when we get guests on, on the podcast here and they start going through, you know, goalie coaches and analysts and people that, uh, you know, outside the GM and head coach aren't always in the media. Um, it's interesting to hear the good people that are working and you get the different perspectives on, you know, maybe a bottom six player that, you know, for whatever reason, Twitter is is kind of roasting on. But uh, it's always interesting to uh, get those different perspectives and, and learn the story behind the story, uh, as they say. So today you work at York University with both the men's and women's hockey team uh, in your master's program there. Uh, just talk about your role there and then the opportunity to work at the university level once again. Yeah, um, I kind of decided I'm going to do my master's. Um, it was that or law school. And uh, law school is very expensive. <laughs> and I didn't really feel like paying for it. Um, I might one day, but we'll see. Uh, so I decided, uh, the school kind of said to me, okay, um, if you do... Uh, your master's of analytics in sports science uh, will pay you to come to the school. I was like, really? Huh? Okay. So let me get this straight. I'm going to get a degree, like a master's degree, and you're going to pay me. Like, yeah. I'm like, perfect. Okay. (laughs) We'll do that one instead. Um, And so originally I'd reached out to Russ Harrington, who's the men's coach. I said, Hey, like I'm, I'm looking at coming to York. Uh, This is my experience. And, Russ is from Newmarket, which is kind of where I grew up after uh, Toronto. And he's like, yeah, no, I know all about you. Let's have a chat. And so I went and we had a chat and they just said, yeah, like we, this is what we have. This is what we kind of want to do. Dan Church was the women's, uh, he's the women's coach. And he kind of knew that like this past season was his 
kind of go for it season with all of the skilled players in their third and fourth years kind of thing. Um, so it was more just sitting with each coach, figuring out um, what they need tracked, uh, what they need from me. And then it kind of ended up being like a Swiss army knife. So not only do I track analytics, I run the team that, that does that. So I have a team of people that help me. I do the analysis. There's video, uh, individual video, like development stuff. Uh, with players because they want to sit down they want to know what how they're doing they all want to get better Um, but then I also ended up running skills (laughs) and so twice a week we go on the ice uh, for just skills and then you have your regular practices but then after practice uh, there's another set of skills ice so as I was on the ice probably like 10 hours a week and just kind of being able to work with the teams and and see how what I was doing was being integrated and used you could definitely see it in, in on the women's team. Um, the girls bought in right away, all about it, talking to me at intermission, got to the point where one of the girls was talking to me about face-offs. Okay, when I take it this way, do, what's my percentage versus this way? And so um, they've really bought in. Um, most of the guys have really bought in too. So it's, uh, it's good from that perspective. I have no idea if we're going to play this year or not. So we'll see what happens. But... Um, whether we play or not, I'm still a master's student at York and I'm studying drafting and development inefficiencies in hockey along with many other things in the lab. So no matter what, I'm doing something hockey. <laughs> yeah. And anytime you can do hockey, it's, it's a lot of fun, but I think it's a no brainer, you know, when, when they pay you to go to school and, and work there, it's a, it's a win-win situation for everybody. And uh, being in analytics, anytime that you could see your value, uh, going into the team's performance and when you have the players buying in and and then after that you had the opportunity to uh, do some more on ice work skills work it's uh, it's gratifying in that way but just sounds like a, a very good opportunity there to uh, you know on your craft and and work on that side of things so you know outside of the team setting you had a few opportunities on the media side the athletic was one of them uh, but the other is the staff and graph podcast uh, talk about how that came about and, and talk about working with Ian there and then um, how it kind of grew over time. SGP. Um, yeah, it was actually kind of funny. So I'm good friends with Dangle and Adam Wild, uh, who run the Steve Dangle podcast. And uh, they were trying to get me on, trying to get me on. And then I got hired in New Jersey. And New Jersey was like, Rachel is not speaking to anyone ever again. And so I was like, all right, well, no podcast. And then when I announced that New Jersey and I had parted ways. Steve texted me. He goes, one, are you okay? Two, we're recording a podcast before somebody else hires you. And uh, so I think it was before or after I went to Germany. Uh, I think it was after. So I went to Germany. I threw my phone basically in the ocean, um, went to Germany for a month. And by that, I mean, I actually unplugged the SIM card and I only had my German phone because I did not want people speaking to me. Um, I came back, I did the podcast and Adam said, I believe he said on the podcast, I think you should start a podcast. And I was like, well, I got no one to do it with. Like, and I don't know how to do it. And then Ian Tullick reached out to me. He's like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. We'd met before anyways, but maybe we we should do a podcast. And I was like, okay, like, what's the premise? So then we were talking about it. And that's kind of how Staff and Graph came up. Because in the athletic story, Jeff Merrick kind of spilled the beans that he calls me female staffer. 
And so I was kind of the staff and then Ian got called Ian Graff by Jeff O'Neill. And so we had a title and it was kind of like, okay, well, where's the niche or the niche, whatever, I don't know how to pronounce that word. And so we kind of found that Ian likes the very analytic side. I like being able to kind of translate analytics into hockey speak and how it applies and look at cross-board tactics. And, and so we just kind of, it just kind of grew from there. The reception was, was really good. Uh, I did not think that it would be, but it was. And then the reality of the situation was our schedules just didn't align. Like Ian is a night hawk. I am in school all day. So when Ian is sleeping, I am at school. And when I am sleeping, Ian is awake. So it kind of ended up just like not being able to continue. And I have started to do some work that maybe prohibits me from yeah. speaking publicly about things as much as I'd like to. Um, because I, I try and find like on Twitter, I'll, I'll say stuff, but I really get into the nitty gritty and explain things on the podcast. And I wanted to be careful about doing that. Um, but I do miss the podcast. Eh, it might come back at some point. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people will definitely be interested in hearing it again if it you know, it does come back, but uh, I heard a lot of episodes, uh, most of them actually, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, breakdown of different players and just ideas and just that side of hockey that not a lot of people um, maybe have the background to speak about or have the, uh, the people to talk about it with, but it was definitely an interesting take, and I was always interested, especially having this podcast, understanding where the idea came from and, and kind of how it grew there. So, obviously, you've had experience working with analytics at various levels, um, as that has taken off in a number of years, uh, just speak to the progression that you've seen uh, working with it and then just give your thoughts on analytics overall. I would say that we are not anywhere near where we need to be to be successful. Um, and it's because of petulance is the word I will use. And it's petulance from both sides. Yeah. And I think you know exactly what sides I'm talking about because they argue on Twitter all the time. And um, I think that in the same way that the eye test has value, because it absolutely does, I think analytics have value. But I don't think that either is the be-all and end-all of anything. I think that you are foolish if you don't use the tools that are available to you uh, when they are available, because the data that sport logic provides to all the NHL teams is robust and player tracking data is even more robust. And you would be completely foolish to just discard all of that potential data and analysis and anything that comes along with that without a second thought. I, I think that's completely foolish in the same way that I think it's completely foolish to draft on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Like you don't do either of those things. Um, now, where is it going? It's going nowhere until both sides agree that A, the, each side has value and that B, um, they can agree and, and have civil discussions about the merits and values of each thing, whether it's the eye test or analytics. Um, and until that happens and until that proper communication uh, can occur without people getting offended or people saying like, oh, analytics are, are dumb or like whatever Tyler Sagan said the other day or whatever I've heard numerous other people say or I've read on Twitter. Uh, until we can get to a, a come to Jesus basically that says, okay, uh, 
what one side has is valuable, what the other side has is valuable. We need to take the most valuable things from each side and use them together and understand how they work together because that's realistically, that's how you're going to get the best out of your team. And I think you're seeing that now Carolina is very successful with, with how they do things. Vegas obviously has been pretty successful. I'm trying to think of Tampa has been successful. So it's kind of one of those things where you're looking at some of the top teams in the league and, and they don't just blindly use analytics, but they value it. Yeah. And so until we get there, I think we're, we're still kind of stuck in the mud and it just kind of feels like we're rowing in a circle a little bit. Yeah. The balancing act is, is a messy, messy process that is going to take time. And um, I think until we get that 50, 50 balance where you, you know, you take analytics into consideration just as much as the eye test and, and use them together uh, until we come to that realization, it, it's going to be a, you know, tough moving forward um, from where we are already. I hate seeing teams, especially at the NHL level, when you say this is an analytics GM or an analytics team. You know, oh, it's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, like, like there, there's so, so many dumb. parts that go into it. And a team like, like you say, Carolina, nobody calls them an analytics team, but, you know, they might use analytics just as much as a, a team, like, say, you know, John Chayka's Coyotes, you know. And so there's different things like that that need to be taken into consideration and, and not just blame a team's success or failures on – what is perceived as an analytics team or, you know, a team that relies on the old school way of, of scouting and things like that. So uh, just something that I was interested in hearing your perspective on and, you know, a lot of common points coming up there just on the uh, take of analytics overall. So getting a little bit more reflective here, uh, you know, a lot of people look for resources to learn. Some people have mentioned this podcast, the Staff and Graph podcast is one that I used, uh, The Athletic, you know, there's so many resources out there. What are some of your favorite you know, articles, books, podcasts, et cetera, that you look to for new ideas and for reference? Uh, I try and do a lot of cross-sport stuff. Um, I'm really, there's a couple of books that I love. So The Inner Game of Tennis is terrific. Uh, the Real Madrid Way, uh, I think is another great book. Yeah. Scroll back and look at my bookshelf <laughs> here. Uh I would say uh, bring the noise, which is uh, the Jurgen Klopp kind of situation. Um, I'm just really interested in, in the intricacies because I think that there's a people component, obviously, that's really important. And Real Madrid kind of has looked into that. Jurgen Klopp is the king right now of that. Um, the inner game of tennis is all about mental peak performance. So I think that's uh, super, super important. Um I read because I'm doing my master's. I read a lot of academic articles. Um, and there's definitely uh, the notion of deliberate practice, deliberate performance. Um, I'll look at that. But in terms of analytics, to me, the Bible is StatShot uh, by Rob Volman. That is, if you want to look into anything statistics-wise, that's the first book you need to read. Other than that, I would actually say that a lot of people, if you're looking at analytics specifically and you're not looking at marrying the two, a lot of people um, on Twitter are actually very accessible. Um, Micah McCurdy, fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He's a great guy. Um, Mike Kelly, um, Andrew Berkshire, um, Evolving Wild, all of oh, – Dom. I mean, Dom yeah, Lustrician exactly. is – Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's in a class of his own when it comes to writing about analytics. But yeah, I try and do a lot of cross-sport stuff. Obviously, like soccer is a huge interest to me. But I think if you can apply things 
uh, from other sports, it's more innovative than, than just kind of recycling old ideas. But yeah, if you can talk to people, don't be afraid to reach out to people. They might not answer, but like, it doesn't hurt to reach out. Um, yeah, exactly. So. I think that's a good way to put it. And um, a lot of those books we've heard before, but it's always key to get those cross-sport reference tennis, you know, soccer, you know, the, the list goes on and on. And uh, in terms of analytics and hockey, uh, you know, you, you listed the a number of great people there, uh, other people. Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Rachel Dory, Director of Advanced Performance and Master's Student at York University. Rachel is an up-and-coming hockey mind who has already seen time at the OHL and NHL level, amongst other experiences. With a wealth of knowledge in the field of analytics and a key eye for other areas of the game, she possesses a full-fledged hockey arsenal, which listeners will be able to learn from today. With that, I am happy to present Rachel Dory, Director of Advanced Performance and Master's Student at York University. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Rachel Dory, Director of Advanced Performance and Master's Student with the York University Lions. Rachel, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's really great to have you on, and um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen your work on Twitter and your thoughts and opinions come across our timelines and, and a number of stories that came out, but it's nice to finally get the, uh, the background story on you and go through your career a little bit. So let's just start off by uh, you telling us about yourself, including where you're from, and then speak to your involvement in sports throughout your youth. Yeah, so I'm, I guess like Ryan said, I'm Rachel, um, Toronto kid, spent a decent amount of time in Germany, but basically grew up here um, the entire time. I actually didn't start playing hockey until I was maybe like 10 or 11 because I was a gymnast um, and that required 40 hours of my week every week. So I was actually kind of heavily involved in that and and, uh, and soccer. And so I kind of just watched hockey growing up and then hey, maybe I'll play, because I played road hockey and whatever, um, but always been, whether I went from elite gymnastics to then playing like a decent level of hockey, I've always kind of been in a, a decent level of sport, and so I guess now that it's carried on into my career, it's probably not surprising. I don't think my parents definitely aren't surprised, because I was always a stats nerd and yelling like random face-off stats uh, all the time. And my mom always said, Oh, that's not going to be useful. And now she doesn't say that anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The progression is definitely there. And I'm always interested in hearing uh, the sports that people do. A lot of times hockey is not even a part of uh, the childhood environment for a lot of the guests, but it's interesting to hear your gymnastics background and then a little bit of hockey as well. So, you know, once entering post-secondary, you would go and attend Laurentian. Uh, just talk about that program and how it prepared you to work in sport moving forward. 
Yeah, so um, I went to the SPAD program at Laurentian. Uh, I didn't have a choice. My parents basically said, you're getting a business degree, science degree, like you're getting a degree that isn't just random things. And so when I said I want to do sports business, my parents were like, okay, you got to get a, a bachelor of commerce. You're not just going to get like a random whatever. And so I went up to Laurentian. This is, this might get me in trouble on Twitter, but I really don't like Sudbury. Um, it is not the most convenient place to get around and it is not the warmest, but I really enjoyed the program. I think that while I didn't love Sudbury, uh, going to Laurentian was the best decision I made because uh, being at that program allowed me opportunities to uh, consult with the senators and have multiple internships. Um, just things that Laurentian can provide that other schools potentially can't because the alumni network was so strong that they want to give kids an opportunity and they want to take chances. So it was really good exposure, really good networking. Um, the professors, I still talk to a lot of them. They're fantastic. Um, and so I've just kind of tried to keep my relationship uh, with a couple of people from the program as well, but definitely with the professors because I can still lean on them and, and ask them questions about various things. Yeah, no, it's great to hear. And uh, Laurentian is one of those programs which has come up a couple of different times uh, throughout the speakers and with future guests. But uh, it's good to hear that you had a great experience and were able to make those connections because I think when picking a program, uh, those connections that you make with the professors and people, you know, alumni and things like that are is what really makes the program, uh, you know, strong or weak in, in whatever capacity you're going with. But you know, before moving into kind of your junior hockey career, you had a few opportunities with internships and things like that, and. One of them was with MLSC. Uh, just talk about your role there and, and kind of what you learned uh, through that experience. Yeah, so I was out of um, BMO and Rico, which is now, I guess, Coca-Cola Coliseum. Um, so it was like Marley's playoff run and then TFC. But that was the year that there was a bunch of Renaults um, and Pan Am. So there was a lot happening in a very little amount of time. But because I wasn't working at the ACC, I actually got to develop relationships that are, I guess, much closer and, and more meaningful because there's not like 800 people in the building. Um, and it also afforded me the opportunity. So Brad Lynn uh, worked out of Rico Coliseum. So I got to have um, sit down chats with him a couple of times. Um, that's where I met Kyle Dubis. But I made a few friends uh, at that internship where like they're lifelong friends. Like some of these people are, are like, some of my closest friends. Um, but it was basically just kind of helping out with facilitating anything that happened at either Rico or BMO. Um, so just like a running around the whole time. And, and that's kind of how I got in with TFC a little bit. Yeah, I think that's the unique experience of an internship. You really don't know what you're going to be doing. You're, you know, you're here one day and you're at a completely different location the next day. But it's always fun to hear those experiences and the unique connections that you make. And MLSC is definitely one of those organizations that you can meet a lot of very influential people. So um, extremely, yeah, for sure. uh, a very good spot for you to be. So, you know, moving into junior hockey, then your first position uh, came with the nearby Sudbury Wolves, where you would work as their video coach. Uh, how did you find yourself in that role? And uh, what was the initial learning curve like, you know, working in, in that video position? Um, it's actually kind of funny. So uh, the Sudbury Wolves have kind of this program with SPAD, where it's like we they take SPAD kids to do like their in-game marketing, their in-game social media, um, and kind of the only role that really isn't within that is the video coaching role, but they try and find someone 
um, I guess Burgess was the owner when my first year there. It was his last year before he uh, sold the team to Zulich. And um, it was always kind of like a unpaid volunteer kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't all that attractive. But my friend that I'd made in the program reached out to me and said, hey, they're looking for a video coach. You were kind of the first person I thought of. Um, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, you can put my name forward and, and just kind of have them call me if, they, if they're interested. And a week later, uh, Dave Matzos called me. Uh, said that he'd been given my name and he wanted to chat. Could I come down to the rink? So then I was like, oh God, I don't even know how to use the bus in Sudbury. Um, so I had to figure out how to do that, go down to the arena, went in, chatted with Dave, Brian Vero. Drake Barahowski wasn't there that day, but uh, I ended up meeting him later. And Dave was kind of like, okay, what do you know about video? And I just kind of said, uh, I don't know how to cut video, but I'm a really quick learner. And I understand the game of hockey I can anticipate. So being able to clip plays won't be an issue. And he was like, okay, fine. You're like, you're our girl. I was like, okay. Um, so then it was kind of like, I had two preseason games. And I would say by the end of the second period of the first preseason game, I'd had it down to where Dave was like, okay, please call up this chance against and do your little thing on Steva and pull it up and so ever since then he was good with me we'd sit on the bus and he'd show me things and how he prepares for games like he was just he was really good to me um and that's why I stayed on for the for the second year yeah and a very unique experience and a lot of people don't get the opportunity to maybe be thrown in there but I guess it shows your commitment and just willing to you know try it even though you said you didn't really know how to clip video but you understood the game and we're willing to, you know, take that opportunity and kind of run with it. So, uh, yeah. And I would also think that like, I learned how to clip video and it's funny because him giving me that chance has basically made me like the video person. So now video is everyone, when they see me, they just assume video. Yeah. And that definitely would not have been the case had, had Dave Matzos not taken the chance on me. And I'm still, every time we chat or I try and make the effort to go out to Hamilton now, just to see a game or two a year. Um, I'm always thankful for it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a unique point as well that, uh, you know, you kind of got put into this type of role because of an opportunity like that uh, with Sarnia and analytics. You know, that wasn't really my background beforehand, a little bit of work, but um, some people kind of reach out to me now with analytics questions, even though maybe I've done more scouting and things like that. But it kind of just, uh, you know, like you said, take any opportunity you can and run with it. So around the same time, uh, you would have two more opportunities come up, uh, one with Hockey Canada and then another one at the university level. Uh, let's talk about those two roles and how they prepared you for the bigger position you would soon hold. Um, okay, so I was, oh, it was the summer of 2017. Um, I was interviewing with the Leafs. I had been to their development camp that summer. Um, but because I had kind of loosely connected and, and done some stuff for the world junior team the year before um, their video coach put me up for an opportunity uh, every year hockey Canada runs a development camp out of Calgary for the women's team um, so it was a U sports team two U18 teams it was like a U18 selection camp and the U22 development team which is basically the feeder into the, the big club um, and they needed a video coach for the U sports team and so I said yes went out to Calgary man oh man that was a lot of work I think I was out there for 14 days or maybe like 13 days, something like that. Um, but it was good because uh, I got to connect with uh, the national coach at the time, Laura Schuler. 
we did like bubble soccer together and I absolutely like nailed her and I felt so <laughs> bad but it was it was a lot of fun and um just being able to see the talent uh that's where I met Darren Turcott who he was with the U18 team at the time but he's also the head coach of Nipissing and he flat out asked me he goes I've I've seen your work I've asked questions um would you be interested in in helping me out and originally I was kind of like okay former NHL player coaching hockey this seems like kind of the old boys club so then we had a couple chats and I realized like no this guy like he's actually very um so he's friends with John Cooper and both of those men are very forward thinking so I was like yeah sure you know what I'm I'm not doing anything like I'm writing for the athletic that's it yeah sure why not and so I ended up doing Nipissing video and analytics while I was writing for the athletic and then that obviously fed in, into the next thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess one more thing before we go into the NHL, uh, just briefly talk about the athletic and how maybe you found yourself there and just your overall experience. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny. So I had loosely connected with James Myrtle and this was when the athletic was like very much in its infancy. And Jack Han and I were up for the same job with the Leafs. Like we were both interviewing. And Jack was writing for The Athletic at the time. Then Jack ended up getting the job, but they needed a replacement for Jack at The Athletic. And they knew clearly that we were pretty similar. And um, I had like a blog at the time, I think. I can't even remember. I think I had some blog. And yes, because I wrote about the Hurricanes penalty kill. And that's where Myrtle saw it. And so when Jack left The Athletic, Myrtle reached out to me and said, hey, like we were looking for something kind of along the same lines we'd think you'd be great. And I was like, okay. So I started writing um, and I would write, it was actually, it's, it's not the same anymore just because they're a much bigger operation, but I would literally text James and say, okay, I'm going to write about this, cut video, all of that. And that's that. And so then I, I wrote about Columbus. I wrote about the devils. And so I ended up writing about the devils and how he here was scoring with Hall and Butcher. And then there was like the athletic Christmas party and I met Pierre Lebrun there. And it, I didn't know this until much later, but um, Pierre Lebrun kind of came and, and chatted with me, I guess in a more private situation, like we were sitting at the end of the table kind of thing. And he was asking me kind of about my background and whatever. And now that I look back on it, he was definitely doing recon because two days later, Ray emailed me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those situations where you really don't know uh, who's listening and, and who's having connections with who. And like you said, he was definitely doing some recon there. And you know, the next stop would be the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things we can't talk about at the NHL level, but maybe just talk about your experience overall with the Devils and, um, you know, what you learned overall there working at that level. Yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind. Um, just because, like, I ended up writing that piece in The Athletic. John Hines saw it. Ray Shiro saw it they went back and forth with each other and John was basically like, okay, I like her. And so then Pierre did his recon, Ray emailed me. I still have no idea how he got my email. We chatted the next day on the phone and then I was in New Jersey, December 21st or December 22nd. And I had interview process there. The devils played the Blackhawks that night. And then basically the clock hit midnight and it was Christmas Eve and Ray offered me the job. And like, without even thinking about it, I said yes. And the, like the original, I guess you could call it a contract. It was written on a napkin. <laughs> like, 
because I guess we were like, it's Christmas, like everyone wants to go home. I have a 7 a.m. flight home, like whatever, right? Um, but then I ended up moving down to New Jersey with my visa after my birthday in January. And uh, it was basically a whirlwind because the team went on that magical uh, playoff run, Taylor Hall, just incredible. And just being able to help and be part of the process and become trusted by the coaching staff and some of the scouts, like, it was a really good experience from that perspective, just seeing how they view the game and how important communication is. And if you can't communicate your issue or your solution, then you might as well not have it because if no one's going to understand it, then it really doesn't matter. But yeah, like I learned a lot of things. I learned to do my research and um, sometimes you got to bite your tongue and, and sometimes you have to fight for things. And um I made a really, really good friend there. So I'm really thankful um, from that perspective because it definitely like, that was life's, one of life's biggest learning experiences for me. I mean, anytime you can work at the NHL level, uh, you got to take it and run with it. And I'm sure uh, getting that contract, albeit on a napkin, was a pretty good Christmas gift for you that year. But um... yeah, I decided not to tell my parents until I got home. So my mom picked me up at the airport and I just handed her an envelope with like the copy of the, the contract in it. Yeah. And I was just like, by the way, I'm moving out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's my two like, weeks notice. <laughs> yeah. So she was, it was kind of taken by surprise. And then we host Christmas Eve every year. So that was kind of when I told my family that like, Hey, um, this is probably the last time you're going to see me for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, but that's, yeah, that's it was, my dad was pretty fired up because he he grew up a huge Marty Brodeur fan. Yeah. So he was uh, he was pretty fired up. Yeah, it all came for full circle. But you know, really interesting to hear that perspective and and hear about the relationships. And um, like we just said before, anytime you can work at the NHL level and learn from people like that, uh, especially in the Devils organization and, and work with elite players like Taylor Hall that year was incredible. And, and the team was pretty good, too. So uh, definitely a unique experience and and one people that one that people are definitely interested in hearing about yeah I would say that I still like I when I look back I really some of the things I really enjoyed were working with guys like Taylor and Nico Heischer and Damon Severson and then having a really good relationship with uh, John Hines Roly Melanson like yeah. those guys and then just being able to interact with the scouts just to hear like okay you see various teams get flamed on Twitter for different things, but to be able to see kind of behind the curtain, you understand what goes into things. And, you know, maybe there's other uh, issues that fans aren't necessarily taking into account. And so just from that perspective, it gave me a whole new view on things. Yeah. And that definitely would help you moving forward and things like that. But I think the, you know, when we get guests on, on the podcast here and they start going through, you know, goalie coaches and analysts and people that, uh, you know, outside the GM and head coach aren't always in the media. Um, it's interesting to hear the good people that are working and you get the different perspectives on, you know, maybe a bottom six player that, you know, for whatever reason, Twitter is is kind of roasting on. But uh, it's always interesting to uh, get those different perspectives and, and learn the story behind the story, uh, as they say. So today you work at York University with both the men's and women's hockey team uh, in your master's program there. Uh, just talk about your role there and then the opportunity to work at the university level once again. Yeah, um, I kind of decided I'm going to do my master's. Um, it was that or law school. And uh, law school is very expensive. <laughs> and I didn't really feel like paying for it. 
Um, I might one day, but we'll see. Uh, so I decided, uh, the school kind of said to me, okay, um, if you do uh, your master's of analytics in sports science, uh, we'll pay you to come to the school. I was like, really? Huh. Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm going to get a degree, like a master's degree, and you're going to pay me. Like, yeah. I'm like, perfect. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll do that one instead. Um, and so originally I'd reached out to Russ Harrington, who's the men's coach. I said, hey, like I'm, I'm looking at coming to York. Uh, this is my experience. And Russ is from Newmarket, which is kind of where I grew up after uh, Toronto. And he's like, yeah, no, I know all about you let's have a chat. And so I went and we had a chat and they just said, yeah, like we, this is what we have. This is what we kind of want to do. Um, Dan church was the women's uh, he's the women's coach. And he kind of knew um, that like this past season was his kind of go for it season with all of the skilled players in their third and fourth years kind of thing. Um, so it was more just sitting with each coach, figuring out um, what they need tracked, uh, what they need from me. And then it kind of ended up, being like a Swiss army knife. So not only do I track analytics, I run the team that, that does that. So I have a team of people that help me. I do the analysis. There's video, uh, individual video, like development stuff uh, with players. Cause they want to sit down they want to know what, the, how they're doing. They all want to get better. Um, but then I also ended up running skills. <laughs> and so twice a week we go on the ice uh, for just skills and then you have your regular practices but then after practice uh, there's another set of skills I so was I was on the ice probably like 10 hours a week and just kind of being able to work with the teams and and see how what I was doing was being integrated and used you could definitely see it in, in on the women's team um, the girls bought in right away all about it talking to me at intermission got to the point where one of the girls was talking to me about face-offs. Okay, when I take it this way, do, what's my percentage versus this way? And so um, they've really bought in. Um, most of the guys have really bought in too. So it's, uh, it's good from that perspective. I have no idea if we're going to play this year or not. So we'll see what happens. But um, whether we play or not, I'm still a master's student at York. And I'm studying drafting and development inefficiencies in hockey, along with many other things in the lab. So no matter what, I'm doing something hockey. <laughs> yeah, and anytime you can do hockey, it's it's a lot of fun. But I think it's a no-brainer, you know, when when they pay you to go to school and, and work there, it's a, it's a win-win situation for everybody. And uh, being in analytics, anytime that you could see your value uh, going into the team's performance and when you have the players buying in. And, and then after that, you had the opportunity to uh, do some more on-ice work, skills work. It's, uh, it's gratifying in that way. But just sounds like a, a very good opportunity there to, uh, you know, on your craft and, and work on that side of things. So, you know, outside of the team setting, you had a few opportunities on the media side. The Athletic was one of them, uh, but the other is the Staff and Graph podcast. Uh, talk about how that came about and, and talk about working with Ian there and then um, how it kind of grew over time. SGP. Um, yeah, it was actually kind of funny. So I'm good friends with Dango and Adam Wilde. Uh, who run the Steve Dangle podcast. And uh, they were trying to get me on, trying to get me on. And then I got hired in New Jersey. And New Jersey was like, Rachel is not speaking to anyone ever again. And so I was like, all right, well, no podcast. And then when I announced that 
New Jersey and I had parted ways, Steve texted me. He was like, one, are you okay? Two, we're recording a podcast before somebody else hires you. And uh, so I think it was before or after I went to Germany. Uh, I think it was after. So I went to Germany. I threw my phone basically in the ocean, um, went to Germany for a month. And by that, I mean, I actually unplugged the SIM card and I only had my German phone because I did not want people speaking to me. Yeah. Um, I came back, I did the podcast and Adam said, I believe he said on the podcast, I think you should start a podcast. And I was like, well, I got no one to do it with. Like, and I don't know how to do it. And then Ian Tullick reached out to me. He's like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. We'd met before anyways, but maybe we should, we should do a podcast. And I was like, okay, like, what's the premise? So then we were talking about it. And that's kind of how Staff and Graph came up. Because in the athletic story, Jeff Merrick kind of spilled the beans that he calls me female staffer. And so I was kind of the staff. And then Ian got called Ian Graph by Jeff O'Neill. And so we had a title. And it was kind of like, okay, well, where's the niche or the niche, whatever. I don't know how to pronounce that word. And so we kind of found that Ian likes the very analytic side. I like being able to kind of translate analytics into hockey speak and how it applies and look at cross-board tactics. And, and so we just kind of, it just kind of grew from there. The reception was, was really good. Uh, I did not think that it would be, but it was. And then the reality of the situation was our schedules just didn't align. Like Ian is a night hawk. I am in school all day. So when Ian is sleeping, I am at school. And when I am sleeping. Ian is awake. So it kind of ended up just like not being able to continue. And I have started to do some work that maybe prohibits me from yeah. speaking publicly about things as much as I'd like to. Um, because I, I try and find like on Twitter, I'll, I'll say stuff, but I really get into the nitty gritty and explain things on my podcast. And I wanted to be careful about doing that. Um, but I do miss the podcast. Eh, it might come back at some point. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people will definitely be interested in hearing it again if it, you know, does come back. But uh, I heard a lot of episodes, uh, most of them actually, and you know, there's a lot of uh, breakdown of different players and just ideas and just that side of hockey that not a lot of people um, maybe have the background to speak about or have the uh, the people to talk about it with. But it was definitely an interesting take and. I was always interested, especially having this podcast, understanding where the idea came from and, and kind of how it grew there. So obviously you've had experience working with analytics at various levels. Um, as, that, as that has taken off in a number of years, uh, just speak to the progression that you've seen uh, working with it and then just give your thoughts on analytics overall. I would say that we are not anywhere near where we need to be to be successful. Um, and it's because of petulance is the word I will use. And it's petulance from both sides. Yeah. And I think you know exactly what sides I'm talking about because they argue on Twitter all the time. And um, I think that in the same way that the eye test has value, because it absolutely does, I think analytics have value. But I don't think that either is the be all and end all of anything. I think that you are foolish if you don't use the tools that are available to you uh, when they are available, because the data that sport logic provides to all the NHL teams is robust and player tracking data is even more robust. And you would be completely foolish to just discard all of that 
potential data and analysis and anything that comes along with that without a second thought, I, I think that's completely foolish in the same way that I think it's completely foolish to draft on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Like you don't do either of those things. Um, now, where is it going? It's going nowhere until both sides agree that a, the, each side has value and that B um, they can agree and, and have civil discussions about the merits and values of each thing whether it's the eye test or analytics. Um, and until that happens and until that proper communication uh, can occur without people getting offended or people saying like, oh, analytics are, are dumb or like whatever Tyler Sagan said the other day or whatever I've heard numerous other people say or I've read on Twitter. Uh, until we can get to a, a come to Jesus basically that says, okay, uh, what one side has is valuable, what the other side has is valuable. We need to take the most valuable things from each side and use them together and understand how they work together because that's realistically, that's how you're going to get the best out of your team. And I think you're seeing that now. Carolina is very successful with, with how they do things. Vegas obviously has been pretty successful. I'm trying to think of Tampa has been successful so it's kind of one of those things where you're looking at some of the top teams in the league and, and they don't just blindly use analytics, but they value it. Yeah. And so until we get there, I think we're, we're still kind of stuck in the mud and it just kind of feels like we're rowing in a circle a little bit. Yeah. The balancing act is, is a messy, messy process that is going to take time. And um, I think until we get that 50, 50 balance where you, you know, you take analytics into consideration just as much as the eye test and, and use them together uh, until we come to that realization. It, it's going to be a, you know, tough moving forward um, from where we are already. I hate seeing teams, especially at the NHL level, when you say this is an analytics GM or an analytics team. You know, oh, it's so dumb. Yeah, like like there, there's <laughs> so, so many dumb. parts that go into it, and a team like like you say Carolina, nobody calls them an analytics team, but you know they might use analytics just as much as a a team like say you know John Chayka's Coyotes. You know, so. There's different things like that that need to be taken into consideration and, and not just blame a team's success or failures on what is perceived as an analytics team or, you know, a team that relies on the old school way of, of scouting and things like that. So uh, just something that I was interested in hearing your perspective on and, you know, a lot of common points coming up there just on the uh, take of analytics overall. So getting a little bit more reflective here, uh, you know, a lot of people look for resources to learn. Some people have mentioned this podcast, the Staff and Graph podcast is one that I used, uh, The Athletic. You know, there's so many resources out there. What are some of your favorite, you know, articles, books, podcasts, et cetera, that you look to for new ideas and for reference? Uh, I try and do a lot of cross-sport stuff. Um, I'm really – there's a couple of books that I love. So The Inner Game of Tennis is terrific. Uh, the Real Madrid Way. Uh, I think is another great book. Yeah. Scroll back and look at my bookshelf here. Uh, I would say uh, Bring the Noise, which is uh, the Jurgen Klopp kind of situation. Um, I'm just really interested in, in the intricacies because I think that there's a people component, obviously, that's really important. And Real Madrid kind of has looked into that. Jurgen Klopp is the king right now of that. Um the inner game of tennis is all about mental peak performance. So I think that's uh, super, super important. Um, 
I read because I'm doing my master's. I read a lot of academic articles. Um, and there's definitely uh, the notion of deliberate practice, deliberate performance. Um, I'll look at that. But in terms of analytics, to me, the Bible is Statshot uh, by Rob Volman. That is, if you want to look into anything statistics wise, that's the first book you need to read. Other than that, I would actually say that a lot of people, if you're looking at analytics specifically and you're not looking at marrying the two, a lot of people um, on Twitter are actually very accessible. Um, Micah McCurdy, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He's a great guy. Um, Mike Kelly, um, Andrew Berkshire, um, Evolving Wild, all of oh, Dom. I mean, Dom yeah, Lustrician exactly. is, yeah. <laughs> He's, he's in a class of his own when it comes to writing about analytics. But yeah, I try and do a lot of cross-sport stuff. Obviously, like soccer is a huge interest to me. But I think if you can apply things uh, from other sports, it's more innovative than, than just kind of recycling old ideas. But yeah, if you can talk to people, don't be afraid to reach out to people. They might not answer, but like it doesn't hurt to reach out. Um, yeah, exactly. So. I think that's a good way to put it. And um, a lot of those books we've heard before, but it's always key to get those cross-sport reference tennis, you know, soccer, you know, the, the list goes on and on. And uh, in terms of analytics and hockey, uh, you know, you, you listed the a number of great people there. Uh, other people that come to mind, uh, Megan Chaika, Sean Tierney, you know, the list goes on and on. Everybody at Hockey yeah. Graphs. Uh, Stat Shot is actually resting here next to the laptop. So um, I kind of get where you're saying there as well, but, uh, just so many different resources and uh, you know at the end of the day if you can have those conversations uh, it makes it even better so looking at your career as a whole uh, you've met a lot of great people and learned a lot of lessons uh, maybe just talk about the key mentors who you've had that have helped you along the way and then a couple of the major lessons that they've taught you the first person who comes to mind uh, in hockey is Steve Pellegrini he is an absolutely terrific human being he wrote the cap with Brandon Pridham, which is why probably Lou Lamorello hired him. <laughs> um, and so uh, Steve was so good to me in New Jersey until obviously he took the job as AGM with the Islanders. And even now I'll bounce things off Steve and uh, he's always willing to, to lend an ear and, and give me very honest advice. And I think that that's something that I've, I've really, really appreciated and continue to appreciate it um he's a i think he lives in sarnia or he's from sarnia i think he's from sarnia but it's one of those things where he was always that person where i could i could knock on his door and as the vp of hockey operations it's kind of an intimidating thing to do but he, sometimes he he would stroll by my office and uh, we would sit and chat he kind of had some really good words of advice for me before and after my time in new jersey and i i've really appreciated that um john hines another one just so good to me um we'll still chat every once in a while judd brackett uh has really been helpful from this from a scouting perspective i bounce things off of him a lot um he's super open to new ideas he's pretty innovative so uh he's been really good in terms of like maybe not so much mentors but keeping me sane jeff merrick has definitely been He's been in my corner pretty much since uh, probably like 2015, basically since I started in the OHL. So he's just like a good, hey, this is happening. Kind of what do I do? They're like, yeah. how would you handle this? Or whatever. Jeff's been, he's a really good friend. 
So I've appreciated that. Yeah, I would say that that's Daryl Belfry too. I would say, yeah, I can text yeah. Daryl at any time and it usually ends up in a two hour phone call. That's great people. And, you know, almost an all-star lineup there, Belfry, Judd Brackett, Jeff Merrick, John Hines, the list goes on and on and on. And a lot of people would love to have those conversations and uh, you're, you know, it definitely benefits you uh, as, as you're learning and navigating through the hockey world. So as a final piece of advice uh, and a final question that I ask everybody, if you could talk to someone maybe uh, just entering school or, or looking for a career change and they're hoping to get into analytics and analysis and things like that, what's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would reach that position? Um, read a book called The Back of the Napkin uh, because everyone else is going to tell you about resources and stuff to learn analytics. My big thing is you can go and learn all of that and you can do reports until you're blue in the face. If you don't know how to communicate your findings in a way that's understandable to a head coach, a GM, your audience, whatever the case may be, it does not matter. Because if you can't communicate it effectively, then it doesn't get understood. And if it doesn't get understood, it gets crumpled up and thrown in the garbage. So yeah. whatever you do, make sure that you're communicating clearly, concisely, effectively. You have to make it I always find that you got to put it on their terms. What are the things they are going to understand? So if you've got a number that reflects like we're not moving the puck out properly, we're not, we're not exiting the zone with control. You have to explain why that's happening. So you need to go and find the video and go, okay, we are poor at exiting the zone because this happens. And you have three or four examples of plays that are demonstrating this stat because then you're more likely to get it understood because now you've used the eye test and the numbers. It's more likely to click. So my biggest piece of advice was uh, you, you've got to be able to communicate really, really well. Yeah. A tremendous piece of advice. And anybody who's worked in analytics at the team setting knows that, you know, you can throw numbers to the wall, uh, but they're not going to stick, you know, as they say, unless you uh, communicate in the right way. So definitely a good piece of advice for people looking to get into field. Uh, Rachel, I just want to thank you for taking some time today to join me on the podcast. It was interesting hearing about your experience and your stuff with the Devils and things like that. And um, I know you mentioned this season might not go ahead this year, but hopefully it does. And uh, if that's the case, I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you. And all the best to you in, uh, in Sarnia. I'm sure I'll, I'll get out there and I'll, we'll be able to chat. Yeah, for sure. All right. Take care. Take care. I'd like to thank Rachel for jumping on the podcast and discussing the various positions in her career, as well as the interactions she has had with key personnel at the highest levels of the game. There were a number of takeaways for listeners in areas of analytics, development, and more. So again, I'd like to thank Rachel for her participation in the podcast today. If you would like to get in touch with Rachel to discuss her experiences, I encourage you to reach out to her directly or contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Brandon Curry, Assistant General Manager with the Niagara Ice Dogs. Brandon was one of the first people I met in hockey operations, and the conversation between us brought about a lot of great insight, so be sure to check out that episode on Wednesday. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for the support of the podcast. Thank you for continuing to interact on various platforms. Stay safe, and all the best.